I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Telegraph. Telegraph. Podcasts. Fashion Unzipped, in association with Tag Heuer, Swiss avant-garde since 1860. Hi, you're listening to Fashion Unzipped. I'm your host, Charlie Gowans Eglinton, Senior Fashion Editor at The Telegraph. For this week's episode, I sat down with the newspaper columnist, turned fashion guru, turned beauty entrepreneur, Trini Woodall. It was back in 2001 that What Not To Wear took the BBC by storm, as Trini and Susanna stripped women down to their underwear in a 360-degree mirror and told them what not to wear. It was the kind of front-runner of these reality TV shows that we still see to this day, and it's still referenced to this day, which, 18 years later, is no small deal. She also has the nicest voice in fashion, so I had to get her in the studio, really. We spoke about why women trust Trini to this day, why she's embraced social media with open arms, and why she no longer sticks to those hard and fast fashion rules that she made her name with. But before that, we went back to where Trini gave her first pieces of fashion advice as a columnist at The Daily Telegraph. One of my first proper serious grown-up jobs was a Telegraph job. And one of my favourite jobs in the entire world. And I was kind of, you know when you reset your career, we've all been in that position where we Mm. kind of wake up one day and we think, what do we really want to do? And I did that about at age 29. And I had this idea for something where you'd see fashion and it would be able to be bought that day, which it wasn't at the time. This is so many years ago, all right, darling, (laughs) before you were born. (laughs) But anyway, there was that time when it was M&S Monsoon and nothing else. And otherwise it was samples sent from Warehouse to Vogue, but you couldn't buy them. You know, it was Mm a frustration. So um, I had the idea. I told Susanna, who I've met, and she said, um, can I nick it? And I said, no, we'll do it together. And then Eric Bailey was a lovely man who ran motoring for the Telegraph. This is like in 1998 for anyone who was around then. And uh, no, 1995. And then he moved to weekend. So he called up Suzanne and he said, look, I've got this idea of cars and women and fashion. (laughs) And he went, Susanna, thank God, said, it's so bad, Eric, because she used to write on cricket for him. That's why he went. But um, I've got quite a good one with my friend, Trini. So we went to see him. And Susanna had written, of course, before the Telegraph, but I never had. And then we got the gig, which was such a stroke of luck. It was that thing of timing and coming up with an idea that resonated with a man who, actually, he wouldn't mind me saying this, knew nothing about fashion, (laughs) but a lot about newspapers. And uh, he then became the deputy editor of the Mail on Sunday. And um, But, uh, yeah, that was the beginning, seven years of it. Did it feel at the time, because obviously that turned into what not to wear, you couldn't have realised then that it would still be referenced to this day. It would still be a cultural touch point. Would have had no idea. Uh, and I think you, you know, if you're... It's weird because I see so many people on social media today who have these careers that overnight... It's staggering how big those careers become. And then there wasn't the media in which to do that. But from my perspective, it was a long journey because we did, you know, a year on the Telegraph, then somebody from 
B Sky B was starting before even Sky was around and we did a show, but, you know, three people saw it. And then we went and we're still doing the Telegraph. Then we did an online business. It didn't work. Then we did, the BBC called up and said, will you do a TV programme? And we thought, oh, you know, don't know. We didn't like it before. And we did it because they wanted to copy our column. And then when that started, it was still quite gradual. You look back and you see the career cascade and go very concertinaed. But, you know, it was gradual. It was two years of that and then we brought a book out and, you know, the first book hadn't done well after the TV show. We sold a million copies. You know, it was kind of... But all the time I was never thinking, wow, we're growing fast. And I remember a lovely woman from Weidenfeld called me up and said, you sold 47,000 books this week. And I went, is that good? <laughs> is that good? You know, it's like... Insane. But at the time, I think we were also working really hard. Uh, I mean, I, not that I stopped, but, you know, we were just, we weren't looking and putting our head up and thinking, oh, look at all these things that are happening. We were just getting all, no plan for the future, just a organic evolution. It was gripping TV. I mean, I... How old were you when you watched it? I'm 31 now. So five. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no, Let, let's do the math. Okay. Well, uh, what year were you born? 88. 88, all right. Child so, of the 80s. Okay, so your child of so 98. Okay, you were 12, yeah, 13. Exactly. Yeah, my daughter would start to watch stuff with me and then. And my okay. older sister and I sat down and watched every episode, wouldn't miss one. Yeah. It's part of my fashion vernacular and I think of a generation, but also, you know, my mum watched it. It was It was unpolished, not in a messy way, but I mean you were very honest and you were very frank and we hadn't really seen that on TV before. No. I think you kind of started that reality ball that just mm -hmm. rolled and rolled and rolled mm. and turned into something quite frightening and then has sort of gone away. But did you ever worry that maybe this wouldn't work on TV or did you get backlash? Did you get people saying... I remember as the show grew in popularity, um, you then have more controversy around it. So people say you know, were they too cruel or, you know, all that kind of stuff. And there was a rawness to the show. There was that 360-degree mirror. There was a real, a woman revealing her whole self. But Susanna and I revealed ourselves too. And I think that gave this balance for a woman to have permission to do that. And I remember once some red top said, you know, do you have a story about Trini Sanders' show? You know, you had a bad experience, whatever. And they didn't get one story to publish. Which was kind of great because we knew all those women very well who'd been on the show and we felt they'd had a rewarding journey, maybe a very revealing journey, maybe a kind of I got to look at my life again journey and maybe a superficially pleasant journey for the time in which you filmed. They went back to do everything the same afterwards. But it's really fascinating to have a show which is being discussed at the water cooler, you know, and, and to have people say, do you think they should have dressed her in that? Or, you know, and, and to have all that kind of dialogue. And I love that. I thought it was fantastic. So I think I don't regret how raw we were because that's how I've been most of my life in, you know, as a, as a friend. The more you are you, the more you get the audience who, who really like you. You don't have to then play up to something. I never wanted to play up in my life. So it's very easy that I started that raw. It's a really long-winded answer to that question. And when did you realise that social media, I mean, YouTube blew up for you? Yeah, I'm oddly like, never my intention. I mean, because, <laughs> How did I, start? I, because I remember I would never think I would do things on YouTube because I always perceived YouTube. And this is like, I don't know when I started my Instagram. I think I started my Instagram maybe 2015, 16. But 
doing photographs with, um, you know, of my being on holiday. And it was only when maybe 2000 and late 2016, when I had just done maybe a year of that, or maybe I started a bit earlier, I can't remember. Maybe it's not 2013, actually, I did. But uh, it was that, let me do film. And I remember I went to see Facebook. I, I just, what I did is I dumped videos on YouTube that I'd done on Facebook, but I didn't pay any attention to YouTube. And I would say I'm not an, a YouTube sensation at all because I don't have that many followers, but I, I'm interested by how many people watch me on YouTube, whereas my intention was they're just watching on Facebook. So I went to see Facebook because I started doing Instagrams in stories and they quite liked it because not so many people were using video then. But I'd always worked in telly, so video was a natural thing. Standing still for photographs, like, uh, posy or whatever. So I then um, got home and I put my phone up and I started just chatting about the products I was using. And all these women started commenting. And I thought, this is better than any telly I've done, any book I've written, any column, because there's that instant, instant connection with a woman somewhere in Newcastle, Barnsley, southwest London, uh, who's saying, oh, yeah, I think that. And could you tell me more about this? And, and so it allowed for an organic flow of conversation because you see the audience who's watching you where that conversation's going and you, you feed the direction of that conversation through the comments. So people are not waiting on thinking, well, they should say anything interesting. Everyone who's on that conversation is engaged with the topic you're talking about, which is such a, to me then, an unbelievably novel way of communicating with people. So I did that and then I thought I'll do, then they said there's live, so you can do like this thing. So I started doing that and I started to get very high traction. So our lives were like, you know, there's sort of fifteen to 50,000 people watching. And I thought, this is interesting. And then by that stage I was doing this morning, so I was doing a bit of telly and I remember somebody pitched me a TV show on a kind of mid-channel, not a main terrestrial channel. <laughs> and I said, you know, in a week I'll be able to talk to half a million women and I control the edit. I say, this, I talk on the subject I want to talk about. And I'm in control of the conversation. Why would I want to do a TV show? I love that about it, social. It does feel like you sort of just take us with you in your pocket because, you know, you're in Zara, picking things up, trying things on. You're in your bathroom. We're just with you every kind of step. Did it start with the fashion and then the idea for the beauty came? Funny enough, it started with beauty because I was in my bathroom and I was just doing my skincare routine. And I'm, I've always been obsessed with skincare because I had very bad skin, like till I was 30. So, so I think, you know, growing up with Susanna, who would, you know, have three vodkas on a, on a party the night before, wake up the next morning with baby skin looking divine. And I go to bed at eight in the evening, wake up like spotty and yucky. You couldn't compete with this genetically beautiful skin and my my sort of hormonally imbalanced whatever acne skin. So it makes you have a far more fastidious skincare routine and you research far more products. So I think I'd done that for 20 years. And that was the thing at the time when I started filming. So it was a mixture of that. And then I think on Instagram I was doing fashion, but on, on Facebook I was doing um, beauty. And then they merged. <laughs> And had you always wanted to launch your own beauty products or was that I always you wanted well? to build a brand. I think I'd always wanted to because the thing about film and TV is that you're only as good as your last commission. You're only as good as your last newspaper contract. You know, all those things have a finite ending and ultimately you're responsible for your career being self-employed, but you 
play at the behest of somebody else to an extent. So I had, for many years, because I analysed so many things in, in makeup and skincare and clothing, I felt, what are the gaps for me? And I was always, in the last 20 years, thinking that. And when I stopped doing What Not To Wear in England and stopped doing ITV and we had no audience here, I did three years of building this audience, very fragmented around the world. But I, I, it was eye-opening to me that the issues women had were identical in Israel, in India, in Australia, in Scandinavia, wherever we were, they were identical. And so I had this like big research machine. And all the time in those three years, I was thinking, what do women need? And makeup came out to me far more clearly because of the frustration women had to go to the beauty counter, you know, and, and things that I experienced, but they would tell me when I was kind of resetting their their kind of makeover, whether they were at 30, 40, 50 or 60. And it was like, I don't trust the person behind the counter or um, powders age me. It was all these things. So in a way, Trini London became an amalgamation of all those things of, you know, I wanted something that was so easy that any woman at any age would feel incredibly confident that you feel sophisticated or clean faced, that you take it around everywhere. And most crucially, that that the products would make you wouldn't be a single powder at all. <laughs> um, because I'm kind of I have a really strong position on on what I think, you know, how I how I f- feel a woman can look her best. So that is pervaded through it. It's a passion. And I think anything you start, you have to have this living, breathing passion about how you think it will help somebody. And that was, I think, the strongest passion I had. When you look at something like Instagram, for example, you are completely on the other side to these women who post these beauty pictures. You can't see a single pore. Everything is hidden and covered and contoured and powdered and you can't even potentially recognise that person. Mm -hmm. It's this idea of what beauty is that is Mm. so unachievable. But I think we're at the end of it. Do you think? I feel we are. Because if I look at... What kind of brands have launched over that period are brands that really are get instant confidence in a bottle from Huda Beauty to Charlotte Tilbury to um, Anastasia Beverly Hills to there's lots of them like that. And they brought glamour back, which is fantastic because there's many women who embrace that lost in the wake a bit of women who think I can't quite get there uh, a bit lost here um, and watch from the sidelines. But I think. Still, there's certain age groups that really love it, who grew up in it and are still doing it. Then there's weirdly like my daughter's age group who will watch, can't remember his name, but Charlie James or something, Charlie James, Jamie Charles. Many millions of followers, mm-hmm. man doing makeup to show 14-year-old girls how to do makeup. That's like a world where anyone listening to this who's 60 will go, what is going on here? But her role models are that, but it doesn't mean she wants to cake a face and makeup, which is interesting. Whereas the girl in her 20s, and maybe up to 25, 28, might still be on that journey and still be influenced by that real, um, you know, I'm only acceptable if I'm filtered and if I'm made up and everything. But I think there's pockets that aren't and there's new generations coming that don't want it. And I feel we will have that organic evolvement of, of that. And I think you see it in just the most simplistic ways that if you follow an influencer... You know, I, I feel bad for influence where people say, oh, you know, she's promoting that or whatever. It's their, they've made this a career. It's their career. You're a writer. You'll write about things editorially. And sometimes you have to be doing a piece to make money. You know, 
the same with an influencer. She'll talk about stuff and then she'll do her ads. And I think where it becomes grey is what we've noticed in the last few weeks in the press of these influencers who are not telling you they're getting paid for something and that you're kind of been taking on a journey and because you follow them and love them and you think they really love that, you're going to get it. But in fact, they're being paid or being given a generous gift in order to do that post and, and managing to blur those ad, hashtag ad things. So I think how we're told our messages on Instagram it's like we need to find who's the person who's going to tell me honestly a message. And it's just choosing. There's so many people on Instagram and Facebook and YouTube that you could follow. And there's some great people you can follow. And it's just finding who, who sounds right for you. But that's something you completely avoid. You buy everything. I buy everything. I do sometimes. I, I mean, like, I'm never given... And nobody gives me anything because also they're scared I'll say something bad about it. Okay, that's probably why. <laughs> but occasionally, like... I'm doing at the moment on, on Instagram a high, low and medium of my favourite vitamin C, my favourite lactic acids, my favourite hyaluronics. So if I don't have it, I'll call the PR and say, can you send this product? And tell me about your fashion as well, because you do, you offer women not only advice on this goes with this, and but also you try things on different body shapes. Yeah. You've got a couple of you whipping things on and off in, in, Chloe. Yeah. <laughs> in a closet. Yeah. Why do you think women want that so much because they obviously do you know you've built a whole career on it Mm -hmm. that has lasted all this amount of time Mm -hmm. and seen you through all these different mediums Mm -hmm. why is it that women trust what you say do you think what's your usp i think um different now to what it was then because then there was susanna curvy and hourglass and me tall angular and a bit too a bit straight you know, so and flat chested and boobs, no boobs. So there was this great yin and yang. And when I started doing my own, I just do what I was wearing and what I felt and, and try to be inclusive of every body shape by just talking about how you combine color together. So quite detailed things that I've done for so many years that I just intrinsically know, intuitively know, but, but to somebody there who's still wanting to reset that button and as I said before that button of a woman waking up and thinking I want to rethink my routine happens in every decade you know women who were at uni and then they're going to their first job they have to rethink how do I want to look like a proper businesswoman you know women who go back to work who've had a baby same thing um women who have got divorced and are looking for love again and they've lost their femininity and they want to be cooler or they want to reinvent themselves from boring, tired mum who looks after husband who's now left her for the younger woman to powerful, sexy, fabulous woman who doesn't really care. You know, you need help in that transition. And so sometimes we need to have the confidence to not judge ourselves too harshly. So a lot of what I talk about is a bit of that. And sometimes you want to look at other so people might look at me for colour and proportionality and things like that. But I'll still have a lot of women who are saying, I'm five foot three, can you do something for petite ladies? Or I've got, I'm a size 16. So Chloe, who works with me on social media, who's a size 16, uh, 14, 16 fluctuates. But we start doing Friday twinning and it's, it's a really popular thing on Instagram. She's very funny Italian too. And, and she's a bit loopy, you know. And we kind of go into Zara and we choose something. And, and it's very interesting because... You know, there's rules that I really adhered to from What Not to Wear from all the different books I wrote, which are in the back of my mind a lot. But I've eased up on some of those rules. So, for example, we had a thing, never wear a polar neck if you've got big boobs. And I've put Chloe in polar necks because my opinion has evolved. You know, and I think that 
the chicness of something can override and if you can bring form into it. So for Chloe to wear a polo neck, always with a jacket to give her the deep V, to give that cleavage feeling that those breasts need of separation, but still to be able to feel the coolness wearing a polo neck. Um, and to not think I have to discount that because I was very strict in those days with Susanna and there was that sense you can't even go near that and now I'm like you can go near it you can actually touch it but think about things around it that you do to make it work with you and so it's been an education for me too dressing Chloe and seeing how she's evolved and how she picks now stuff in Zara whereas before I'd always look up thinking Chloe are you mad you know And, and so she's really been you know over the last four years we had this relationship she's really evolved into understanding her body shape and seeing what things really suit her and colors etc so we go around zara she'll pick stuff and i'll go that's great let's do it and then we'll check it suits both of us and how we'd wear it differently how much has your style evolved so much and I, when i look at those old books i sort of think oh my god really um in beauty, tremendously, I used to wear all this orange fake tan from Moose Number no. 7, and it was like orange. I was an orange, and I had acne, and it was a pizza skin. It was so disgusting. To look at. And then I'd wear yellow, and it would be all at the collar. Um, so definitely evolved, and I think I used to wear a lot more pattern and a lot more accessorizing. I'd sort of think, let me layer on another thing before it's an acceptable outfit. Do you have any rules? As a woman, you know, there's certain rules I think you do need to look at as a woman in your 50s and 60s. And one of them is how much flesh you show and where you show it. And we always used to associate showing more flesh with sexiness. But to me, sexiness is about form and color, oddly, and makeup to an extent. So, you know, I wouldn't wear much open around my um, décolleté. I'd rather have great color there and maybe show off my arm because I'm still okay with my arms but and also I wouldn't wear gold jewelry straight onto skin because I see there's a very old-fashioned thing and it's in the back I'm going to say this I don't like the back of the telegraph those those lovely little ads mm-hmm. okay and there's sometimes I'm going to say it sorry there's that kind of <laughs> and many of you ladies might have bought it but there's that sort of half t-shirt sleeve top it's like your smart t-shirt it's got a slightly open neckline and um, and it, it ends just above the elbow in every colour, packs of three. And that, to me, will take put 10 years on a woman. So, you know, getting the neckline at your collarbone and not a little bit further out, because a little bit further out will show what might be quite good skin around your décolleté with a slightly wrinkly neck and then a face you might have looked after more and seeing that contrast in those three textures somebody visually will age you more than if you bring that fabric right up to the corner of your neck and you just have your neck and your face together so so those little things i really obey fashion unzipped in association with tag Heuer. excellence precision and elegance our timepieces are designed for those who love challenges What's striking me as I'm, I'm listening to you talk is there's this trend, I would say, on Instagram at the moment for women to say, you know, there's nothing wrong with my body. There's nothing I don't adore about my body. I certainly hey, crusade! Have, I certainly Such have... grab! <laughs> exactly. I think everybody I know has something. Mm. You know, I was interviewing an ex-model this morning turned TV presenter and... 
she said, oh, you know, well, I don't have great legs. And I'm looking at her thinking, got fantastic legs. Mm. Every single person. I had terrible acne as a teenager and still struggle with it now in my 30s. Everyone has their... Their thing. Is it brave to to talk about those things? Do you think it's... Why is this that now everyone's wanting to say... I think it's... I mean, those messages that you were saying at the beginning, I think they're good messages because I think it's like it's saying don't feel judged by things about yourself. And I think that's always the best message because that stops the bullying or cyberbullying or any kind of things that are going to take away your confidence. But how we perceive ourselves and how other people perceive you is very different. So when I walked in, I met you today, I was just thinking, God, she's got such great glowy skin. Now you say in the end of your sentence, I still suffer from acne today. And I'm thinking, really? You call that acne? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) You didn't meet my pizza face. So how... Big or small, we make the thing we don't like is the most important, crucial thing for us. Um, And how we can diminish its effect on our self-confidence. So making comparisons, you know, when you talk about the, the model, I can see many models who do feel those things. We look at them, we think... I can see people would say to me, but Trini, you're you're skinny, it doesn't matter. But still, I know I have really short legs. And that's just my thing. You know, it's... Just putting our thing in perspective. What other bits of advice would you give to women? In dressing? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's such a basic one. We don't know what not to wear, but strip down. And you've got to say five things you really like about your body. I know it sounds so pathetic, but like, what do you really like? So if I did that strip down, I would say... I, I can start with what I don't like. Women can always start with what they don't like. So what do I not like? The fact that I have cankles. Never do you see me wearing a delicate kitten heel. It's like death. Or a flat, flat shoe. It's like I could go straight down like the Nile. Um, and then I... What else would I sort of say is like my sort of bugbear? Is trousers that are made for like Hedy Slimane, made for Celine, would never fit me because he doesn't understand that above your knee, your thigh can get quite big proportionally to how thin you might be. So um, that's something that I've had, you know, issues around skin, obviously. Um, but then I've got far more in the plus points now. So, you know, I know that, and black, I, I, you know, I never wear black. I mean, once in a blue moon. So colour is so important. And what about beauty? What are the things... Are there certain things that a woman should always do? Mm. Certain things always a woman shouldn't do. <laughs> Let's start with those. So, m- ages ago, just after I launched in London, I, I went in the bath and I thought, what are the things that I keep seeing women do? So I just did a little live and I put on one side of my face all those things together that I'd seen women do that I feel age women in an unflattering way. So when you get to a certain age, if you wear a black eyeliner all the way around your eye, it will close up your eye. But when you probably started wearing it, it opened up your eye. But it was maybe 20 years before. And then I'll look at women who started with like an Estee Lauder double wear, like a quite heavy foundation. And through habit, they kept wearing it. But now it's really heavy and they don't need that much foundation. And then women who felt their most sexy in the 80s, you know, we were talking about decades, and they did that hard Spice Mac lip liner. Who didn't have that in their makeup bag, you know? And they'd do that, but they'd be changing the colour inside so that, you know, hit by an eyeliner, a lip liner was there, and then powder. I don't want to be shiny, powder, 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 because there's a very matte moment. 70s wasn't a matte moment, but 80s was really a matte moment. 90s was mixed. So I did half my face in that, and then I 
did half my face in just freshness, all the opposite. So a glowy skin, uh, an eye makeup that lifts and opens up your eye, a lip that gives you back the lips you used to have. And then I just put a piece of paper and I just said, do you do this? Um, you know, closing in black eyeliner, uh, quite heavy foundation. And then I was like, what it did. And then the eye one was the one that they most, because my eye was like dragging down. And then I, <laughs> and then I switched around. And I went, you could do this. And, you know, a million people have watched that. So funny, because this is really proving that that whole movement of don't worry about what suits you, just, just wear what you love and do what you love and, you know, don't even think about the things that you don't like about yourself because you're fantastic and you're very much if you don't like something why wouldn't you make it better yeah make it look better yeah and obviously if a million people have watched that video you're not alone in thinking no <laughs> i mean i still love that first message but i think that first message is very clear sky thinking you know it's really it's what the nirvana should be but to me, the reality is always a little bit different because, you know, women all have things that press their buttons. And it's just how do you circumnavigate around that or how do you get over that more than let go of it? You sometimes need a path to letting go of something. It can't, you can't just let go of it. Do you think right now, the climate that we're in, it's sort of seen as anti-feminist almost to to think that women should change anything about themselves? You know, like the the word anti-aging. Yeah. And that loads of beauty brands have said, we're not, we're not going to... want to use that word, yeah. What did you make of that? I think it's interesting because I made a decision not to use whenever, you know, we're looking at copy and anti-aging. I don't like it as a word, but it's, for me, it's about looking ageless mm -hmm. is my kind of way, I think, as a woman because... I know I'm getting older. I can't stop the clock. But how can I just be ageless? And ageless to me, it's a very, um, it's a very personable interpretation. But it means to me that I have energy where I need it. And life is a lot about energy. And that's why some people follow me is that how do you get that inner energy? How do you give yourself the enthusiasm and passion when physically your body might be a bit more tired? You know, how can you reset your mind to just think, okay, and and those are the important things. And anti-aging is a very narrow path of, you know, it's about a wrinkle. And it's not just about a wrinkle. It's about a, a sense of being and a physicality, the two together. Would you leave the house without makeup in the morning? Yep. I did exactly that. I went to a tech I went to a tech breakfast two days ago that I was invited to. And I was a bit nervous of going to because it was very high-powered, you know, tech people. And I'm kind of like, you know, our company is is mainly online and so I want to be involved more in that and I was invited to this breakfast and it was you know really companies I love and their CEOs or CMOs and I um, was in the taxi and I was going to do a live and I literally went and I just and I always just start doing my makeup and I went to get my makeup and I, I had forgotten it and I went oh my god and it was like and I had my ring and, and I have a ring which has a pot on it. So I thought, what's the colour? And luckily it was actually this colour. And so I just thought, okay, how am I going to use that? So I literally put it on my eyes, lips and cheeks. And um, and just, I then took saliva and did my eyelashes and my brows. So it was a real <laughs> at-home thing. And then I went and and it was fine. I'd actually, I think I'd done a mask that morning. So I felt my skin was okay. And I just pinched my cheeks as well just to do a little, you know, I love to do a little slip at, 
slap and tickle. But I feel we need to stimulate our skin a lot. The physicality of stimulating our skin and stimulating our collagen is really important. And then I got there and we had this really good breakfast. It was 12 of us, everyone spoke. And I didn't give a damn that I just had lip gloss all over my face. <laughs> it was fine. Um, so I will. And I, I just, I would anyway. I mean, I walked down the King's Road with Lila and, you know, I don't. I probably, put, I probably will always put um, blusher and lip glow on. And are you quite brave with trying different treatments? Yeah, you do a lot of facials. Everything. Yeah, I try everything. I've tried. You know, I mean, the first time I tried Botox, I was thirty-five, mm-hmm. and it was because I really made my forehead talked on television. I had this very broad forehead. I do have very broad, um, deep forehead, and it just spoke more than me. <laughs> I mean, you know, I have a verbal diarrhea just sitting in a room with me, but it really spoke. And this person said to me, "There's this weird Frenchman, and he can stop your forehead moving." And I thought, great. I mean, I didn't have a line on me. It wasn't for wrinkles. So I went to see this guy, Dr. Seabag, and he was uh, in some uh, Harley Street. And he hardly spoke any English. And he was the, the epitome of the rudest Frenchman you've ever met. Think of the rudest French waiter you've ever met, and that was him times 10. And I went in the room, and he hardly spoke. What do you want? What do you want? And I went, I want you to stop my forehead moving. What do you want? Botox? I went, yes, I want Botox. But what does it do? Well, uh, I do it or I don't do it? you want it? And I was like, well, tell me. What is going to, is it going to poison me? And he went, no, it's injected and you come back in six months, you do it again. So I thought, okay, all right, am I going to do it or not going to do it? Do it, not going to. And uh, so I went for the plunge. And then, um, and it was great. And the next time I did telly a few days later, my forehead didn't move like an insane person. So for the purposes of my forehead not moving is how I started Botox. And then by the time I was 40, I might have had a few wrinkles, but I was doing it twice a year. And he still does it. He's learned a bit better English. Uh, he still is rude, but very funny. And I do have tried many other things. So I, you know, when you've had bad skin, I mean, your skin, when I look at it, I think you haven't got scarring, but I had very bad scars. So I did a few years later a CO2 laser to, to kind of help the scarring. And then I got into this very meticulous skincare routine. So I do microneedling. I do quite strong vitamin C. I do retinol. And even though I still would have a PRP, go to Face Gym Pro, have a laser for tightening my skin, the consistent, because even lasers that tighten your skin and all that stuff, after a few months, you might think you look worse. You know what I mean? It's like such a strong impact on the skin that you don't really look worse, but your mindset has changed in your perception of your face. So then you feel, oh, it's all got worse again. It's just gone back a bit because these things never last a long time. So... For me, the most consistent thing for anybody, but for me first, is I clean my face twice. So any product I put on is not going through cleanser or through old makeup or through dead skin cells. And I microneedle with that little needles twice a week at home. But then anything I put on, so where you spend your most money or in any skincare routine, to me, where you spend your most money is the most active things like vitamin C or retinol or a, a niacinamide or whatever those things be you might use. You put it on and it will go work 300 times better than if you just put it on your face. So I have a great consistency in my routine every single day and twice a day. And I think that more than anything, people might look and say, oh, she does Botox and she has a lip done, which, by the way, I haven't. Um, and what else has she had done? Any of that stuff is, to me, not comparable to a daily program. So, you know, for me, there's an education with girls in their 20s. Start now with that daily program. Really get in that routine. What's next? 
Oh, well, there's, you know, skin, supplements, hair, clothing. Oh, my goodness. There's lots of things. But I think when you start with any new business, as anyone who's starting a business will know, you need to so know your market, know who wants it, start selling it to them before you then expand on what else you might introduce into their life. So I'm at that stage. Still establishing. I would like a um, TV comeback. You know what's weird is I I made a makeover show mm. um, a few months ago um, on our iPhones. So Chloe and I did a call out to Facebook. We have this thing called the Trini Tribe on Facebook. There's about 6,000 very dedicated women and they follow everything I do and they comment every day and they help each other. They're this most amazing movement of women. And I met a few of them. I always meet a few of them. I go up to their meetups occasionally and they say it's a place, it's a closed group and there's no gossip or bitchiness. Everyone's helping each other. It's fantastic. So um, we asked this Trini Tribe and we said, look, who would like a makeover? So we said, send us a one-minute film as to why we should. So we got hundreds, went through them, found five women, and then we made the show. So is this fashion and beauty? Yeah. So they came, they knocked on the door, number 13, which is on all my things, and the door opens, and I'm like, hi, let's get in the cab. We get in the black cab, because that's always what I'm I asked them 20 quick-fire questions, and then we go to Zara on the King's Road, and we have this manic time in Zara and there's moments it intercuts between my giving tips to in the changing room with Chloe where they're pouring their heart out to Chloe about how overwhelming it is or how exciting it is or whatever. Then back to Elm and they get their hair done by Adam from Joshwood and um, then they get their makeup done and then they go on a photo shoot where we happen to be doing a photo shoot for Trinity London anyway and they have their after picture. So we made five of them, no money and... Um, I got in, uh, Chloe was editing it a bit, but she's got a lot of work to do. So I got in somebody else to edit. So she took an objective view and she edited this film and then she showed it to me and I got my two ladies from customer service to watch it who are like, would be a Trini, would be a what not to wear um, fan kind of lady. And I hate watching myself. And so I'm sitting there and I get twitchy. I'm like, oh, can you move it along, Trini? Can you move it along? But I sat there for like 16 minutes, mesmerized because she edited it so well. And Cheryl was like, God, this is fantastic. I love this. And so I thought, OK, what am I going to do with it? So I got home and I, I had sent it to Charles and he said, call Netflix now. And I was like, no, I think I want to put it on Facebook or YouTube because I sort of feel that's where I want it to go. And so I'm in this thing now. Do I send it? Because I had these three or four TV shows. You know, we had this conversation at the beginning. Who'd said, do you want to do a show? And nothing was something I felt appealing to. So I thought, do I send them this and think, you know, if you do exactly what I want, that could be interesting. Or do I just put it out on social? I don't know yet. But the first one will go out on the, I think it's going to go out on my birthday on the 8th of February. I think that's when we're going to do it. But it, it's, I did enjoy it because it always comes back. I'm like a homing pigeon the 360 makeover of a woman. There is nothing more exciting for me to watch for a woman to rediscover other parts of herself. It's like you, we all like to see that story and I love to see that story. Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. Yeah. It's the right time for a comeback because, <laughs> well, look at Queer Eye on Netflix. I know. And that went completely out of fashion and people were like, you know, it's awful that how prescriptive that they tell these men, you know, yeah. X, Y, Z and yeah. that's wrong and that's... And it's... An amazing show and they're, they're doing amazing things and you can see the transformation and how people feel about themselves 
But I think the fundamental difference with that is it was a great format with lovely guys, and they've chosen new guys. Mm. So What Not to Wear was a format that then they did new people and then it stopped. But I've evolved. So for me, the idea of giving that feeling to a woman, I think I can do, and it needn't mean that I go back on telly. Weirdly, doing that is a step backwards to me. So when you talk about a comeback, for me, I feel there's no comeback or not comeback. I am where I am. I have the audience I have. And I want to, those are the people who've chosen, not because they put it on a BBC One at eight o'clock and there was nothing else to watch, but they've chosen to follow me. So they feel engaged. So I want to look after those women before I look after er anyone else and give them something that will excite them and they'll find fun. As an avid watcher of What Not To Wear, I loved having Trini in the studio. And I must admit that after recording Wrapped, I cornered her for an off-the-cuff skincare consultation. And she gave us a demonstration of her Miracle Blur product on podcast producer Theo. It got the unzipped thumbs up. We'll be back, not in a fortnight, but in just a week's time, with the first of four Fashion Week specials, with all the latest news from New York Fashion Week. If you want to join in the conversation, you can email us at unzipped at telegraph.co.uk and you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Charlie Gowans. Thanks for listening. Fashion Unzipped, in association with Tag Heuer, Swiss avant-garde since 1860.